Our latest Everything Thought Leadership interview is with an expert on family businesses, Professor Kim Edelston, who's been running a highly popular academic journal called FamilyBusiness.org, sister academic publication to Entrepreneur and Innovation Exchange. The FamilyBusiness.org site now attracts nearly 2 million visitors a year to its website. Kim has been running the publication since 2018. She teaches at Northeastern University's Business School in Boston, where her specialty is entrepreneurship and family business. In this episode of Everything Thought Leadership, you will learn from Kim how a rigorous and well-written journal can spread crucial knowledge rapidly in a marketplace that is hungry for that knowledge. And when I mean a well-written journal, I mean a publication written not so much for other professors, but rather for family business owners and members. Kim will also explain how the website has been gaining an international audience whose next destination is Asia Pacific. Hello, Kim. It is great to have you on our show, on our podcast, video podcast, Everything Thought Leadership. And you and I- It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Great to have you. So we have talked a number of times. And I am very familiar with your the publication you run, familybusiness.org. Tell us, give us a little bit about the story of how this publication happened. So it started with our sister publication, Entrepreneur Invasion Exchange, which is completely funded by the Schultz Foundation. And of course, the Schultz Foundation is from uh, Richard or Dick Schultz, the founder of Best Buy. And we were doing publications on entrepreneurship and small business management. And with my interest in family business, once in a while, we would have articles. And then it was David Deeds and I who really thought family businesses have their own needs and interests. And we approached Dick Schultz, and he loved the idea. And so, again, it's a sister publication, so anything we publish, can be seen on Entrepreneur Innovation Exchange and likewise. And so readership has taken off pretty significantly. And there are numbers to break out separately, What uh, what's going to EIX as well as to, to familybusiness.org. But a lot of people cross over, so it's really interesting. Yeah, but there's been substantial traffic on both sites, which is really, really great. So how has familybusiness.org been received in the academic community of family business professors, people who specialize in teaching about various aspects of family business? Well, there's the teaching aspect, and then there's the research aspect. So our board is comprised of some of the leading uh, scholars and consultants in the field. And I think the reception has been very good, particularly with the translations. By the word translations, what Kim means is research translations. A research translation is an article published in an academic journal for an academic audience. A translation is converting that article into language and concepts that the lay audience would understand. In this case, for the matter of family business, translating an article written for other family business professors to an article that family business owners and operators would understand. Because one thing that's usually a little bit unique about a family business scholar is a lot of them, because of centers for family business, they actually do have a lot of um, interest in practice. So a lot of them run centers with workshops or they do consulting. So they've been excellent in giving us different material, reviewing, sharing our articles. And then, of course, the consultants have loved it, too, because it brings some attention 
to their skills and their abilities. And then we have, we were the first of EIX and FillingBusiness.org, if we think of them combined, to actually have a partnership with the leading journal. So we have a partnership with Journal of Family Business Strategy, where about once a month we do a research translation, which is really nice because it brings some publicity to scholars doing all of this research. And then since then, the journals, we also have one we just started with Family Business Review. And then we also do translations for general business venturing, entrepreneurship theory and practice, and strategic entrepreneurship journal which contributes to both websites, which is very nice. So tell us more about these translations. It's a translation from what audience to what audience? So it's from the academic audience. So it's it's articles that most entrepreneurs and family business leaders would never read. <laughs> My husband, who's an entrepreneur, would say, I'm explaining water is wet. So, and I have to say, so even when I do my own research, probably only 30% would honestly be of interest and have relevance to a family business leader or stakeholder. So a lot of it is knowing. And so I, I have to say some editors have a better flair for that than others. Like they know, wow, this has to get in the hands of family businesses. Family businesses need to think about this or the results from this study you know, are, are life-changing, business-changing. We need to share it. So a lot of it, we work with our editors. And then sometimes our board is excellent because the people on our board really get the importance of research and translating it to practice. And so a lot of our board members, as soon as they publish something, if if they feel it has practical importance, they'll send it to us. So we publish from lots of different journals in addition to the ones that we have formal relationships with. We're always learning. And once in a while, we'll get articles that you know, they just need more work than others. Like there's this nugget of, wow, this is important. But for example, like we just learned, there's a word we use all the time in academia, even in consulting, and the, it's the word governance. And I really just learned like last month, that word meant nothing to a family business leader. And it's like, you know, like, oh my gosh, we use this term all the time. It's too abstract. It's like, what do you mean by governance? Is it operations? Is it management? And a lot of family business and entrepreneurs, remember a lot of times they're two in the same. They like being informal. They like calling the shots. So using a word like governance is like, no, <laughs> no, not happening under my watch. We've started to use like, what's another word? So a lot of times it's something like lead. How do you lead? How do you manage? Um, how can you make practices more formal? So a lot of times it's like, even I'm always learning because, you know, I want to connect with them. And then a lot of what we're doing, whether it's the interviews, I do video interviews a lot, the translations, a lot of it is we just want to get family businesses to think. So, you know, we're not trying to say there's one formula, but a lot of it is, you know, oh, wow, am I doing that? I need to think about this. So let me send this article, you know, to, um, you know, my son, my daughter or my board. So, you know, I think that's very important. And then also everything's peer reviewed. So one thing that's a little interesting in family business is because we're a very applied area naturally. So you'll see a lot of the Ivy League schools have amazing executive education programs, but that doesn't mean they necessarily have a major in family business. Because uh, again, it's a very applied area. And a lot of times they're trying to work with the leaders of the boards and so forth. And 
you know, disclaimer, I teach at Cornell's Family Business Executive Center. So sometimes where um, in exec ed, you're not necessarily using someone with a PhD, but because our articles and those on EIX are peer reviewed, it actually helps these instructors, clinical professors, schools call them different things, be seen positively by accreditation because uh, all the business schools have to be accredited and they're looking for peer reviewed articles. So that's one thing a lot of times I will tell some people who are teaching family business, but they're not academics. They're like, oh, no, I can't. I don't know how to do research. It's like, no, no, we'll help you. We have amazing things to say, and it'll be peer-reviewed, so you'll get the feedback. And that's critical. You know, I, I imagine for this academic topic of family business, to be able to communicate to family business owners and executives, family members, et cetera, what your research is about. It's not just important to communicate it to, to students or executive ed students, which I guess are family business people for the most part, right? But you really want to make this practical to the outside world? Yes, it is a very practical field. Let's talk about the impact of articles for people you know, the academics you know, the impact that you have heard from those professors of getting the research translations and any maybe articles that are original to familybusiness.org uh, in. What have you heard anecdotally about the impact of, of what they've published? Incredibly positive. So even at Academy of Management Conference, which is like the premier management conference, which entrepreneurship and family business would fall under, um, there was a session on the importance of relevance and practice of our research. And they gave a shout out to both EIX, or Entrepreneur Innovation Exchange, and familybusiness.org for, if, if you will, they said we were doing it right. And I think it's, you know, it, it does help we get so many rejections as academics. Um, it helps you to see that you're making a difference. And then a lot of our um, writers have gotten either consulting work or doing keynotes and involved in workshops. And then, of course, you know, if you, I'm devoted to family business. I'm a stakeholder in several, like come from family business. I started my first family business at the age of nine to help them to succeed and survive in healthy family and healthy business. And then when you're with family businesses, you always learn something. So, for example, the thing when I do workshops lately, the number one question I'm getting, which seems to be on the mind of a lot of family businesses, is how should I be raising my children? That is the number one question I'm getting. And so I've started doing a couple of video interviews on topics with therapists, consultants, because, you know, there's this whole issue with even wealth right now. And the next generation looks at wealth very differently. And, you know, how do we deal with that? How do we prepare, make sure, of course, they want to join the family business. They're going to be responsible shareholders and stakeholders and, and so forth. So the fundamental question there for these people is, should we bring our kids into the family business? Is that the fun, the first and maybe fundamental question? Or is it, are there something else that they are trying to? Oh, when they're asking about parenting? <laughs> As a family business, I mean, obviously you can't stay a family business if there's no family. Ownership or management or involvement. So most family businesses, that's just, it's not a conversation. It's just making sure that the business will stay in responsible hands, that they understand how to be responsible stakeholders and stewards of the business. They want them to be good leaders 
that other people obviously respect, that they're going to respect their heritage, but at the same time, innovate. There's this like really delicate balance between, you know, independence and then still having this sense of, you know, collaboration and a bit of dependency, right? On in the family, wanting to belong, wanting to stay. And so a lot of parents are dealing with that. Even when I when I taught RSM family offices and advisors at Cornell, when I was doing my research, one of the first things I realized was uh, what we're seeing right now is one of the most common decisions the next gen is making is firing their parents' advisors, including the family office. And myself personally, as soon as I read that, I was like, oh my God, that's me. Because um, when our family office passes over, uh, I'm taking over and changing everything. (laughs) And so, you know, it was so interesting to have to deal with that. And then teaching these, every, the audience was advisors. And even their face was like, what? I could be fired. It's like, yeah, you now need to, anyone who works with the family business needs to think about, I might have a really good relationship with mom or dad, but what's my relationship with that next generation? Because, you know, you might get fired, whether it's a consultant, advisors, you know, tax, you think about all the people who work with family businesses, the lawyers, the tax advisors, the estate planning. So it's interesting. So public publicly held companies that are family businesses, right? Ford Motor Company. Um, do some of those publicly held family companies have rules of no family members are allowed into the business, given that they're public companies? I've never seen one with none allowed. No, because usually they're on the board. They they maintain some type of control. Right, and but then, in operating I mean, roles, in operating roles, do any do any of these public companies, you know, say? I would hope know. not. Because the whole magic of a family business is having someone there who cares so much about the business, it goes beyond economic wealth. I've never seen it. Okay. So I imagine that there is a very healthy rivalry among uh, family business professors around the world, right? You guys are a special... No? Rivalry? No. We're incredibly collaborative. Are you? Okay. All right. Incredibly Um, collaborative. Um, I know of other academic professions where it's not as 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 collaborative. It's very like our coll- conferences are even different. So when you're talking about academics, for example, in Philly business, it's really common for us to bring our family. And so at like the gala dinner, oh, wow. people will have their children, their spouses. You know, I mean, I have friends who I swear would rather sit next to my husband and talk about his business than <laughs> sit near me and talk about my research. So no, it's very, it is a little, because so many family business professors are somehow in it. So they're, they're consultants, they're running a center. A lot of them study family business because they come from family business. So they have this inherent desire to help and see them succeed. So I've, I've never experienced it. I'm sure there's a little bit of friendly competition, but incredibly yeah, yeah. collaborative. And so do your professors, family business professors collaborate on research? Um, oh, always. Extensively? I think I've worked with more than 60 people. Yeah. Because I'm wow. not a data person. I'm a writer. Usually I have someone who has, or I'm brought in on an, a revise and resubmit. All of my research, I work a lot with a lot of Europeans. I love my European um, co-authors, people from Australia. I've worked with people from China, Hong Kong, Canada, all over the U.S. So it's on important research. 
One thing really unique is um, the data that's available. So some countries collect a lot of data, much more data than the U.S. on um, entrepreneurial businesses, privately held businesses. But then they also collect a lot of data on family households and Mm. you can match them, whereas we can't do that in the States. And then, for example, I just had an article published in Entrepreneurship Theory and Practice, and we did a translation for both EIX and FamilyBusiness.org about family meals, the importance of family meals to entrepreneurship. And that data came out of China and they were able to match and look at family household data and even have data like how often do you share meals together as a household? Yeah. So a lot of it is what data is available. Obviously, public companies are different. People love studying. I have a few articles where we use like Fortune 500, Fortune 1000. And so that, of course, you have this data that's been, you know, scrutinized. But you don't have that level. You don't have things like, okay, how often are the Fords eating dinner together? <laughs> I don't have that. I would love that. They can call. <laughs> <laughs> so the U.S. is is at a disadvantage to to other countries in terms of that really detailed well, data on family they, businesses. Well, maybe yeah. So if it's secondary data, you know, there's always different types of data, and and you learn different things from the types of data you're able to collect. So when I'm collecting data in the States, for example, I'm getting survey data. I'm getting um, qualitative interview data. So, uh, and then I'm seeing some co-authors now who are doing experiments, which is really neat. So there's always pluses and minuses. And that's why probably a lot of family business people, they do collaborate. All right, let's talk about familybusiness.org and and the future. Um, What can we expect to see in in this publication over say the next I'm gonna I was gonna say five years but that's kind of far out. Um, what about the next two years? Where do you want to take this? So a lot more growth. So reaching more people. So there's been a couple of times when, for example, we started to reach out to India that we had so many people coming on the website that it crashed. So a lot of it is you know because there's so many family businesses abroad. Um, there. That's the common denominator, you know, in China, the Middle East, India, is most of them are under family control and ownership. So I think definitely growth that way, which also means adding to our board, making sure we're getting people who contribute because, you know, we, we can learn from all of those different cultural elements, how people manage their businesses. Um, so I think a lot of it is growing that way. I have some secrets that um, will be coming, but I don't want to say too much until. I am an entrepreneur at heart, so until it's done and out, I won't say anything, but I think it'll be really interesting and fun and will give another way for us to communicate things that family businesses are going through, but also not necessarily divulging family secrets. Because when I interview people, a lot of times the most interesting things they tell me are after the interview's over. So trying to capture some of that without making anyone the black sheep of their family, let's say. (laughs) And obviously there are academic conferences for family business professors. Are there business conferences for family business owners and- An advisor. Yeah, so Family Business Review, which is the organization um, or the journal we just created a partnership with, is owned by Family Firm Institute, FFI whose primary members are actually consultants and advisors. 
So that's, they have a big conference coming up in October. We're doing a lot more with them and we have some plans in the future to do a lot more um, collaboration with them because it's a little bit of a different audience, but their audience all works with family businesses. And a lot of them also run centers for family businesses, which are amazing. So I'd like to do more there too and being a resource to the centers as well as the family businesses. So is is there a global conference, say, in Europe, where people from the U.S. come and Asia-Pac come and South America, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, that is for family business owners and operators across the world? The owners, okay. So, um, so there's several global conferences for family business scholars. And then there's the ones, like, um, we have a relationship, for example, with IFERA, which is the International Family Enterprise Research Association. And then there's FERC in the U- or North America. That's Family Enterprise Research Association, another great one. And then there's le- little regional ones. There's also the STEP Project, which is fantastic. Um, and often uh, consultants get involved with that as well as academics. When it comes to family businesses, though, the leaders, the shareholders, even non, there's certain events even for non-family, they tend to be more regional because you got to think of the travel. So there's several, there's several next gen organizations, if you look up that are absolutely amazing, um, that help prepare the next gen. There are ones on boards and I'm going to use the word governance. I should tell them not to use that word, (laughs) but formalization. Um, A lot of centers, I I highly recommend family businesses belong to centers. They're the biggest bang for your buck. And you get to, a lot of them have peer groups. They work on things together. I speak at different ones. You have a lot of people who are leaders in the field who give workshops on a slew of topics. Um, And of course, because of the Schultz Foundation, we're very much involved with the center at the University of St. Thomas. They have an amazing, very active center with family businesses belonging. And then all the exec ed programs. So, you know, if you look up, you know, literally probably every month, one of the Ivy Leagues <laughs> in the U.S., as well as I just saw IMD has one coming up probably every month. There's a different exec ed type of a workshop. Some of them are a day, some might be a week to keep people informed and just to, that constant learning. Because one thing that's interesting with the family business is it's, there's a, a life stages to it. So there's always different things that the business and the family are going through. So you really need this kind of this idea of lifelong learning. And of course, because it's family, you always have new people joining. So now you have spouses coming in and, you know, how are they going to raise their children? How are we going to integrate them? What's fair? How do we protect the family from things like divorce? All these things are constantly happening, which means you really have to be learning and preparing. And so it's it's such a fun era to be a part of. And then it's very I don't want to say interesting or funny, but every time there's a movie or a TV show that comes out that centers on family business, so think Succession, which was a tragedy, and it was written as a tragedy. <laughs> um, Yellowstone, you know, there's so many different shows, Dynasty, that center on family business. You know, whenever there's something that comes up or a movie, a lot of times that brings to light things to family members like, oh, we got to do that. Oh, we have to make sure this doesn't happen to us. And then they get very much involved with, you know, the learning and so forth and looking for things. But I highly recommend that they look at different events going on. Start locally first, and then I would look at other events. 
So 20 years from now, when you look back at the, these times for familybusiness.org, and if somebody were to ask you 20 years from now, so what do you think the impact of that publication was? An academic journal written not just for academics and family business, but really more importantly, for family business members. And again, they're asking you, Kim, what was the importance of that publication at that time? And hopefully it's still here in 20 years. But what would you say is, what did that publication do in this arena? I think the best thing it did and hopefully it'll continue to do, because most of our readers are actually family business leaders and stakeholders. They're not academics. I hope it honestly helped family businesses to survive. I hope that in 20 years from now, there will be family business leaders who said, this article, this interview changed the way I was running my business, changed the way I was looking at my family and helped us to survive. And if we didn't survive, if we decide to sell or it was just time for closure, which is fine. It's, you know, I mean, sometimes doesn't necessarily mean a business went bankrupt. It just, it's had its life. I would hope that they look at it with not regret with things like the, the journal helped me to make those decisions so that my family, we have good memories and our family stayed strong. And so my son just learned about two weeks ago, he never knew about my mother's family's business. And I was like, oh my God, how did he not know this? Like, that's how they made all their money. I don't think he ever knew how they make all their money, but he never knew. And it's kind of, it's sad. And I think a lot of families, you want to make sure, like that's something I it brought to my mind because of something, an interview I did with Mitzi Perdue about legacy. And that's how I brought it up with him. And it had an impact on me. So I've seen articles have an impact on me. I've heard the feedback. And I'm hoping it's also helping other family businesses. The way I'm looking at it, based on what you're saying, is before familybusiness.org, this knowledge that you and other family business professors had, or you taught in school or in executive education, this knowledge was trapped or confined to a minority of the family business members around the world right? Unless you went to that executive ed program, unless you took these classes while you're in college, you didn't have access to this knowledge. What you've done is to begin to make this limited knowledge accessible to any, given that familybusiness.org is free, unlike most academic publications, you've unleashed the knowledge out there for every family business owner and, and member and worker to tap. And, and you're making perfect. a good point because, you know, once in a while you will see articles once in a while in HBR, you know, a lot of them are written by consultants though. So you have to be a little careful. I have to say, you know, I mean, you're not sure. Um, it's not based on research. So things, when you read a research translation, or I always make sure if we have something by a consultant, they're not selling anything. They're still giving you something to think about. But even when you search for topics, sometimes the first articles that come up are ones written by people trying to sell something. We're not selling anything. We get asked. We are no, there's no ads. Again, we're not ever trying to say though, you know, follow this article's advice and you will survive in the next hundred years and be billionaires. Like we can't say that, but everything is, you know, vetted. It's all peer reviewed. It's written for family business leaders and hopefully it's giving them things to think about. And obviously though, if, if they do connect with a consultant or a therapist, they say, oh my gosh, you know, I could use her or him. You know, hopefully, you know, we always give the information. They can certainly do their homework. 
and contact someone. So we're always trying to create these win-wins. But I think that's probably the biggest thing is we're not selling anything and we're never doing a story that's only one consultant, one consulting firm. It's always, we have a lot. So it's uh, based on rigorous research, uh, unlike, you know, some others, but also you're, you're free. HBR is not free. Subscribing to Fortune magazine, not an academic journal, but with stories about family businesses is not free. So it's limited access. The New York Times, I've been interviewed by them. And, you know, I've gone to share stuff even with my mother and she's like, I can't open it. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, you're making a really good point. And especially because when we're, our articles, not that all of them apply to a global audience. You know, I would never say that either. But you also have to think if someone in Europe is opening or wants to look at our article or our video, they can open it. They can look at it. It's not behind a paywall. You're absolutely correct. Everything is free. And we, I, you know, cannot thank Dick Schultz and the Schultz Foundation enough for that. And it's the same with Entre Innovation Exchange, of course, also, because again, I've had a business. My young daughter has a business. My husband has two businesses. You know, sometimes when you look for advice, you honestly don't know whether to take it or not because they're selling something. How do I know this is tried and true? You know, not, you know, a study can tell you this was the correlation. This is what happened over time. You know, again, a good correlation, it might be 20%, but hey, I'll take those chances. 20% yeah. of, of a good marketing campaign looks like this. The rigorous, the thinking is rigorous and, and they're not trying to sell you something. So that, that's a big difference, I think. And then on board, like you, you are right. When you read something from a lot of the magazines or even newspapers, they haven't been peer reviewed. So our things, everything published, someone, it, it's had a second eye that said, this makes sense or it doesn't, um, something's wrong, or you need more information, or it's just, it's simply not publishable in familybusiness.org. Well, look, keep up the great work. And in 20 years, we'll have to get together and talk about the uh, the impact of familybusiness.org back in the, uh, in the 2020s. I would really look forward to that. It's such an amazing team. And Matt Hughes has brought, he's our uh, you know, senior editor there too. And he's from Europe, which I thought was really important, bringing someone speaking to that audience because that's such an important, we usually are getting 40 to 60% of our audiences from Europe. So he's oh. brilliant and young and brings a whole new energy and expertise, but it's a whole team. And you're bringing on an Indian academic as well? We're hoping to, yes. That's yeah. our. That's probably one of our next plans is to bring in, and someone probably from the Middle East also, because again, we want, if someone submits something from there, we want them to review it, right? And even contribute. Yeah, very good. Very good. Well, Kim, thank you so much for your time. And I am sure we will be in discussion again. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And thank you for all the work you're doing. Very similar. You're sharing this leadership expertise. And hopefully people, I know people learn stuff because I have your book. <laughs> all right. All right, I'm going to quiz you on that. I'll give you a college test, a college exam on my book. Excellent. All right, thank you so much. Thanks, Kim. Everything Thought Leadership is a video and podcast series from Boudet TLP. It's for thought leaders and thought leadership professionals, the people who help experts get recognized as thought leaders. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you left a like and if you shared the episode with your colleagues. You can find out more about Boudet Thought Leadership Partners at boudettlp.com.